0: Gen Z is probably the first generation of girls who can genuinely see a role for themselves, a career for themselves in football, and that's a real turning point.
1: Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Owen Connolly, taking you through another weekly wrap of stories from in and around the sports industry. Hope you are well, uh, very happy to be back, very happy to welcome back as ever Sports Pro News Editor Tom Bassam. Hello, Tom. Hello, Owen. And delighted to have with us for the first time on the podcast, the women's sports lead at MNC and Saatchi Sports and Entertainment, Jenny Mitten. Hello, Jenny.
0: Hi, Owen. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for coming on. We are going to be looking pretty much exclusively this week at uh, UEFA Women's Euro 2022, which is happening in England I think the tournament will have just kicked off as you're hearing us uh, this week 10 venues across eight host cities with 16 teams playing out for what what looks to be a really open tournament over the next kind of three weeks and um should be a fascinating case study for the progress of women's sport for the potential of women's sport not just in england but far beyond um, and we'll be looking at some of the commercial talking points over the next kind of 40 minutes or so tom there's a very useful resource, I believe, on sportspromedia.com for anyone who wants to get up to speed, uh, either just before they listen to this podcast or just afterwards.
2: Yes, our 2022 commercial guide was published on Monday. Lots of uh, lots of hard work got into that from the whole team. And it really, really shows. Go on there if you want to find out all the details about every team, all their sponsors, um, details around the broadcast rights, uh, what sort of... The, each team's reach on social, all of those details are there, uh, and there'll be other bits and pieces you'll spot on the uh, Sports Pro site related to the Women's Euros and related to Women's football over the next week or so too. So we're uh, yeah, we'll keep you well stocked in uh, in that area.
1: Yeah, I believe Sam Carp has a comprehensive preview as well lined up just before kickoff, and of course we'll be following that tournament all the way through, and and keep an eye out as well for Women's Sports Week which uh, kicks off on the 18th of July, uh, about halfway through the tournament. So, yeah, tons to follow. Um, really interesting point, I think, in the development of women's sport to for this tournament to appear. I feel like the the last Euro back in 2017, that kind of came, either was the inflection point or came at an inflection point for, for women's soccer in particular. Um, I mean, I guess to start with, you know, Jenny, how do you feel that expectations have changed in women's sport generally, but women's soccer as well, which, like soccer on the whole, kind of was almost a separate industry in and of itself, given its scale?
0: Yeah, I think I'd actually probably go back further than 2017 to sort of demonstrate the real shift that I think I've seen and most people in women's sport have seen. So back to Euro 2005, 17 years ago. Um, England gloriously knocked out in the group stages like we normally like to do, Germany won. And what was really interesting is while England were playing, we were actually seeing huge audiences. This was 17 years ago, about 3 million people on TV tuning in. And as soon as they dropped out of the tournament, that was it. The tournament fell off a cliff and people just weren't tuning in or paying attention or writing about it. So the focus really was on England, supporting England. Now, if we fast forward to 2022, I think what we're seeing with this tournament is the fact that focuses on women's football. It's not just about following England. It's about women's football. And I think, you know, the the sort of proof points behind that, the fact that we've sold out, I think it's 13 games already. The final sold out. We don't know who's going to be in the final, but people know it's going to be a brilliant spectacle. So they're signing up for their tickets anyway. And I think that's due to a number of factors. I think largely the growth in the domestic games so people can see brilliant football week in, week out. So the Barclays Women's the Super League isn't huge catapulted by being on the BBC free to air so people are starting to see the quality of football and getting a taste of what they're going to see and I think it really helps that actually a lot of the stars of the European teams play in our league which is a lot for the state of women's football in England Um, so that's been the biggest shift for me this you know this tournament is about women's football it's not just about speaking uh, supporting England and that's really that really shows a huge shift from 2005 for me.
1: Hmm. And Tom as well this is a a really good opportunity for for the women's game to pick up some momentum again i mean 2019 the women's world cup i think there was probably what jenny identifies there about you know the the focus on on the sport as a whole was perhaps evident or becoming evident then as well and then you've had the pandemic as an interruption but you know certainly on the commercial side of things and the sponsorship side of things we are seeing that that appetite hasn't abated in the in the period between
2: yeah absolutely and also you're seeing some like uh, interesting different brands coming into this too I, I think sort of since 2019 i guess the biggest one is tiktok they've been involved in a lot of women's sports in general and sports more broadly but they have actually like you've noticed that they've been using women's sports as part of a bigger kind of drive but it, even like just in particular to this tournament you could look at you could look at lego or linkedin um as brands that you wouldn't have necessarily seen coming into a tournament like this, even four or five years ago. I mean, Jenny might tell me I'm wrong, but um, they just weren't the sort of names that were being linked with these kind of things. But all the sponsors from the men's events were coming over as part of that package. And you can just see there's a differentiation here. This has now been updated. And it's a, it's, it's really it's really positive, I think, for this tournament and for women's football and women's sport more generally going forward.
1: Mm. I, I want to focus a bit on the, on some of those kind of newcomer, sponsors in just a sec jenny but you know when you're preparing brands for this event what's what's the approach how does the approach differ perhaps i don't want to make too many direct comparisons uh with men's tournaments but how does that approach differ who are the target fan base for a sponsor at euro 2022 i think
0: what's interesting about this tournament it's such a big event tournament and the fan base is Really broad, and I think that's why we're seeing this this range of sponsors coming in. They're premium. They, you know, we've got some brands like Lego, which are all about you know targeting the parents. You've got LinkedIn that want to get the next generation that will engage with their platform. You know, they're premium brands. They want to reach a right wide range of people. And the ticket sales tell us quite a lot about who's coming to the tournament. So initially, we had lots of female football fans. That's what we expected. You know, the hardcore sports fans. UEFA knew who they were. FA did. And as soon as we start went into general sales, then we saw that tipping into the big Events and that was back in March, which is quite far out. I think that's really telling that suddenly, obviously, a lot of sponsors were announced. Once we had the general sale and word was out about how many people were buying tickets, in this broader audience, we then saw quite a few of those deals get over the line. I think there were about three new sponsors that were announced, sort of late March and early April. And I wonder if it was them hearing that actually the audience isn't just who people assume follow women's football; it's actually far broader. We had a, a range of everything from, you know, we were talking earlier about Brentford. You know, Brentford hardcore fans who just love football. just want to see great football in the stadium they call home and then the other end we're seeing a high you know propensity of of dads buying tickets with kids so, it really is wide ranging and probably not the standard audience people expect. For these sponsors, this is Gold Dutch you know Parents, they need a lot of products to get through life. Young people, that's the next generation of consumer. And I think what's really interesting, especially with the more aspirational brands we're seeing coming through, so like TikTok, Pandora, Gen Z is probably the first generation of girls who can genuinely see a role for themselves, a career for themselves in football. I don't think there's any generation before who could say, I can be a footballer, I can be a coach. I can be a referee and that's a real turning point. And these, you know, these brands are really smart to that. They know that this this sport is really relevant for that audience and really sort of talk to their dreams.
1: Mm. Two parts of that. One is the the progression of the core women's football audience and we'll have learned more about that in the last year in particular um, when you think about the expansion of, you know, the, the footprint of the Women's Champions League, for example. The game's being live streamed on YouTube. There'll be a lot more information, a lot more kind of two-way engagement with that fan base but when it comes to something like discovering this big event or audience is perhaps bigger than anticipated perhaps bigger than the tournament organizers anticipate when you look at the size of some of the venues how how agile can you be how quickly do you have to move to make the most of that?
0: I think with the, the stadiums was always going to be a challenge they they went out to bid in 2018 so was before the 2019 world cup which obviously saw a huge boost in following and back in 2018 cities were invited to bid and it was a bigger package than the space so that you know this the, they did ultimately want to make sure they could fill stadiums and they had a broad range across the country of cities were engaged so but where they can really help with that was the broadcast deals and i think that's where they really nailed it this time with the bbc You know, we've seen sometimes with previous tournaments, there's a lot hidden away in the red button. There'll be a lot of fanfare, but it's on the BBC. And actually, then I'm fapping around an iPlayer trying to find where it is. Every single game, except three, are going to be on the BBC, the BBC One or BBC Two. And those three that are on the red button, um, it's just because of fixture clashes. And I think that's the difference. So if you can't get a ticket or go to your game, you can watch it on TV. And I think that's going to be really game changing. So whether that's, I don't know if you guys have noticed, I wonder around Soho and there's pub promoting it on chalkboards. I wouldn't have seen that five years ago. It's suddenly moving into a cultural shift where pubs are saying, I can make money from this audience. You know, that won't go unnoticed to the likes of Heineken, who are obviously a big um, a big sponsor with UEFA. Um, so I think, you know, there's we're having to be nimble. And I think if we fill out every stadium, that's brilliant. We just then have to make sure or anyone who can't get a ticket has another way of seeing it, which I think they've yeah. done a really good job it's of. It's funny that
1: I can, I can remember talking to a colleague during the last... Euro in 2017 and England, you know, making their way to the, the semi-finals, and him saying that that was the first time he could remember a group of friends saying, well, where are we going to go to the pub to watch this game? Um, and you think about those kind of little anecdotal anecdotal notes that maybe hint at something bigger happening. Just with your MNC Saatchi hat on for a second, obviously you're working with a few of the uh, brands who are supporting the event. What's the what's the kind of activation challenge for you guys? What, what are you what's uh let's start with a, a big opportunity with with this tournament that um, perhaps you haven't had access to before either in kind of the women's sports context or more more broadly
0: I think often the starting point and this is something that gets talked a lot probably in the women's sports world sometimes I wonder if our, we're in our own echo chamber and no one else actually is that concerned about it. It's kind of getting it right tonally. We're at that sort of tipping point. I think women's football is a bit different, especially in England, because we are so much more advanced than other sports. But often with brands, it's like, what tone do we take? So you hear a lot of brands now talking about purpose, you know, and let's have a purposeful mission and something that will really engage with our audience and demonstrate that we're making change. Yes, women's sport could be the platform for that. But just because it was women's sport, it doesn't mean it necessarily is. You know, you have to also look at women's sport as being a premium product. We're drawing in huge amounts of fans. The product itself is brilliant to watch. You know, you wouldn't necessarily take a men's sport and assume, oh yeah, that's a great purpose piece, which I think sometimes can be the case with women's sport. And I think what we've seen with our the brands we're working with, we've just looked at the audiences they're going after. I think Heineken's a brilliant example. They have Cheers to All Fans, which is their platform across football, so whether it's men's or women's football, celebrating fans. And what we're seeing that they're doing across the Euros, across F1, and across the Champions League, they've always brought music, and entertainment to the party. They're all about giving fans a premium, brilliant time, and they're just bringing that to the. that's no difference they're treating it exactly the same because they know that their audience once they engage with the Euros have a great time thanks to Heineken they're going to keep coming back and watching more and hopefully it'll be with Heineken in hand.
1: Um, Tom you mentioned uh, some of these newer sponsors that we've seen come in um, who are new in a couple of cases more or less new to sponsorship in this uh, in this respect I mean Lego have done bits and pieces of marketing around certain events we saw a bit of them involved with, with the hundred in cricket last last year in this country and of course they do all kinds of branded partnerships across entertainment um linkedin is a a really unusual one and then you have tiktok kind of picking up on their uh debut in, in european sponsorship with the uh, the men's euro last year um what, what have some of the things been that you've noticed around that or what will some of the things be that you'll be looking for uh from them
2: i mean i think probably
1: the most high
2: profile will be tiktok um not namely because it's in the in the global category but it's a really key platform i think that for for, as jen previously mentioned like reaching those those younger generations just the way it's designed and the way it it can work it hasn't probably got some of the, the biases other social media platforms do when it comes to these kind of things and it can just Throw up something that someone might find interesting into their sort of feed, I guess, as you will. The brand that it works with, the tournament itself, yeah, that kind of nice avenue into reaching different, different, different audiences, different fan bases that it wouldn't have been able to do up until almost really that prior to TikTok, because even Instagram and Twitter, like we think of them as being sort of young social media platforms, but they're getting old aged by this point. Like, I mean, it's the old cliche, isn't it? It's like as soon as your parents sort of start adding you on a social media platform, you know, it's probably time to get off of it. But yeah, TikTok, I think is, is a, is a really crucial one and a really good partner for this tournament. I think some of the others will have their very specific roles that they take, but in terms of excitement and ones I'm most looking forward to seeing what they do and the opportunity, I think it has to be TikTok in terms of, yeah, from from that area.
1: I mean, the other thing that they were involved with in the past year is, is the women's Six Nations rugby union tournament. But you know, for them as well, they are they have kind of been content agnostic for one of a better expression than I think.
2: I think that's what I was trying to get at, and just didn't quite. Yeah. Speak the word zone. But so yeah, I think. But, but this it.
1: is a a way for them to understand, I guess. You know, just venture a little bit deeper each time into into what their role. Actually, is Jenny and in that marshalling a conversation, or you know, being a being a partner of a of a conversation, and which is slightly different.
0: Yeah, and do you know what, I think when they first came in and started getting involved with every women's sports property, I was a little bit cynical. I was like, oh, look, they're just coming in, badging what they're going to do, what are they doing the women's sport, and then I sort of took a step back and checked myself. I thought, like, well, firstly, they're as you said bringing new eyeballs on anyone could randomly land on some brilliant rugby or brilliant women's football content and then i think exactly they're doing the right thing there's no right or wrong way to activate or to behave or show up in women's sport you know it's a new emerging format you know it's not a stub it's not been here for 50 years like the nfl you know, we can try things differently, we can step back and see what's happening and then react to it accordingly. So I think what'll be really interesting when we start getting to year two, so what happens next year for the women's six nations, you know, what football tournament will Tic Tac go in, into next? I don't think there's any harm going into a sport, finding your place, seeing how you know, subtly seeing what works, and then looking at how you activate. And you know, I think it's very easy to criticise brands going, they're not doing enough. but well, it's all very new, so maybe we're still working out exactly what we need to do and that's okay.
1: You hinted at this a few minutes ago, but how is the understanding changing of, particularly at this end of women's sports sponsorship, how is the understanding changing of, um, of what's in it for brands and, and how, how they get at it? Because it's not just, as you say, not just a purpose piece. You know, it has to be something a little bit, I don't want to say less condescending, but that's all I can think of to say. <laughs> it has to be a little bit more serious than that in terms of the, the actual sport itself.
0: agree they're sporting platforms you know that's what we do with men's sport we use them as a platform to engage with our audience to essentially sell them product yes they're growing but it doesn't mean that we need to throw a pity party at them you know we can we can grow with them which is a great journey to be on and really like wallow in the glory be part of that be part of the records being broken you know i think six nations is a good example TikTok was involved with every single record-breaking game you know as were some of the sponsors so o2 with the red roses every time the red roses smash another the record o2 in front to center of that story which is really important so i think you know it's it's definitely that balance but i think equally don't shy away from the, the fact we're still growing you know there can be some campaigns where you can strike a balance and you can ask for more I think women's football we're at that point now where we should really push into the sort of the piece around performance the piece that is all around the entertainment because I think we're there if you look at some of the figures and the way we're going to grow well I think some other sports where we're still you know let's get some more eyes on netball that you know the, again the product's brilliant but there's probably not enough people watching it and the same with women's rugby you know we don't have sort of the you know the eyeballs on the domestic calendar like we do with women's football and I think that that tells in terms of how sponsors activate and what they're doing and I think once we can increase those eyeballs more sponsors will rightly get involved because at the moment if you're activating around you know Allianz 15s who's going to see that on a live stream hidden away on a website
2: just on that subject like what can we do to ensure that to to ensure that sort of greater balance do you think football in this country and I think probably just in Europe generally draws so much attention with the utmost respect to other uh, other sports it, it is the sport and it's generates way more like web traffic. It generates way more TV ratings, it's the like biggest industry financially in, in European sport. Like with women's sport, we're direct, like try and address that balance or nip it in the bud as it were to make sure that's, yeah we don't just sort of end up with a carbon copy of what we've got in the on the men's side
0: i think it depends on the formats. So i guess there's some sports like netball and hockey which are more popular with women um that do have a larger fan base you know the men's teams don't get as much love but i think that's with everything that's okay it's a bit like when we talk about the six nations when you compare the women's six nations and they talked about the, you know the level of performance from the teams let's not forget italy and the men's six nations have been terrible for years i mean for years it was just sergio Parisi carrying the whole team but that's fine that's sport and that's competition you're always going to get that varying varying level of competition and interest I think the thing to note for brands is, you know, don't be afraid to enter a sport that is still emerging if you see signs of interest. And another thing with women's sport, and yes, we're talking smaller audience numbers, you know, it's going to, if, you know, I don't know when we're going to catch it, if we will catch up with men's sports, we've got a lot of chasing to do. But really interesting in the Women's Sport Trust, when they reported last year on the 100, I think people that tuned into the women's 100, 70% of that audience then went on to watch another women's sport, which actually gets me quite excited about the women's Euros. If we can take 70% of that audience, we'll then just dabble potentially with another women's sport and suddenly you're seeing eyeballs on those other formats that probably you wouldn't have ever seen before so there is this bit of a thing where women's sport does breed more support for women's sport um i just think we need to be realistic about the numbers that it can do in the pace and just kind of support it but not over be over ambitious and overestimate
1: mm. the interesting one two three this summer with wimbledon going into the women's euros going into the hundred um that way round, certainly be something to follow when it comes to some of these new partners and whether they're new to women's football or, or less kind of well versed in uh, in sponsorship more generally, how 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 much willingness is there to experiment to try new things, particularly around football? The the stakes and the investment is often incredibly high, and you either you get kind of brands following templates that you've seen for quite a long time, tried and trusted, or just tried, um, or you get brands who are only in it for awareness and are maybe coming from sectors that might have reputational challenges elsewhere, should we say when, when you have some of these new consumer brands coming in, is it you guiding them? Do you find on the agency side without kind of giving too much away or upsetting anyone too much, or is it, um, are they coming in saying we have, we want to try things like this and we want to see what's possible at this scale in an environment where, perhaps the rules haven't been set quite as fastidiously as they have elsewhere.
0: I think it's sometimes a bit of both, if I'm honest. Often they'll come in and say, I'm kind of interested. Can you help me unlock the opportunity? Because what you'll find is, like I said, we're often our little women's sport echo chamber. I know all the facts and figures off the top of my tongue, what makes it great and the opportunities. If you're a marketing director who's not, you know, sponsorship is one arm of what you do, you're not going to be across this detail. So if someone comes to you with a women's sports property, you've never heard about sport, probably don't know the players, maybe never watched it. You know, it's a really challenging sell for those brand managers to really kind of get their buy-in so what we do with them first and foremost is take a bit of a step back and go right what are you looking to achieve and crucially can this women's sport format help you get there you know we would never push a brand into it just because it's the right thing to do or yes you know it's equality you know it has to be right for the brand commercials and I think. A really good example is we're working with Dettel at the moment. It's only their um, second year as an England partner. So we're being very well behaved around the UEFA guidelines, my I add. Um, but they um, had a men's Euros tournament, which was brilliant. And they were like, great, it's women's home tournament next. What can we do? And we were like right we're going to take your campaign which is all about celebrating fan rituals and we're going to apply it to the women's because it doesn't matter who you are if you're a fan going to a game you're going to pick up rituals if you go to a game and your team wins you are wearing that shirt or wearing those lucky socks or doing what you did beforehand or going to the pub it's you know it's based on an insight that whatever you do and, you know make sure you are hygienic and wash your hands on the way of course with some dettle um you know and it's tapping into that truth and it was relevant for the women's game so it was really important for them and for the women's game you know it reaches a broad audience the men's just like mass mass reach and then the women's game will help sort of target those sort of really key parents and and younger people who are probably a bit more savvy around hygiene post-covid as well so you know our advice to them is what is your brand looking to achieve from this partnership who are you what I guess behavior change are you trying to deliver and can women's sport do this for you Mm -hmm.
1: Tom let's um let's look at the media picture for a second we've got pretty broad free-to-air coverage um hopefully more substantial marketing push behind that than than even um the women's world cup a couple of years ago but do you think is is that going to be the only part of of the picture here that that kind of traditional media experience what else do you think um people will be looking out for from uh, in in terms of the media performance of of this event
2: one of the things i have noticed that i think is really interesting around all of this is it's not just the sort of traditional media tv coverage that we've seen we're seeing more of the print media the podcast media the like the, the the written press talking about this and producing guides and kind of the all the kind of hypey build-up stuff that you'd get around a men's tournament and that's not something that i've like experienced a lot of previously i think we got a, lit, a little bit about the world cup but like i think if you really like it, even if you actually it's probably the case that if you didn't want to know about this tournament you can't help but have helped to find out about it because of the fact that you've got those other things that are going on. So if you pick up a newspaper, you're going to see a team by team guide for, for most of the, like for, for most of the national, like big national outlets. That's something that's changed dramatically. We've seen stuff like the Telegraph women's sport coverage, the Guardian do a dedicated women's sport coverage. They've launched a women's Euros podcast. It's like, there's just a sort of a lot of things like that, that are complementary that aren't in a UEFA manual or in a, uh, like in a sales book for uh, MC and Archie, that uh, help create noise that, that go around the tournament, and th- that is really important in creating that cut through. I think and like w- will be and can't help mm. but help. If you see what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's some of those um, anecdotal things, Jenny, or some of those intangible things, but rip much larger um, because you're you're getting the national press involved in that way.
0: My mum gets really excited. She's like, "Oh, I think I know what you do." But I saw the women's Euros in the front of the Radio Times. So I've told your father, <laughs> you know, something wouldn't register with my mum. My, my younger brother is a big Liverpool fan. This to talk sport. And he's like, "I love Laura and Flo talking about the WSL. It's really got me engaged with women's football." And I've only ever followed Liverpool in the Premier League. And you know, and to Tom's point, this weekend, you know, I was in I, can't remember, I was in Tesco. Uh, they were on the cover of Elle um i saw t- sunday times style players were featuring on the covers as well and most of the papers that i brought over the weekend had feature-length pieces in the build-up tournament we've just not seen that before so it is slowly starting to build up you know and if, if you think of all well, those young women who pick up out for some fashion and makeup and suddenly go well, this looks pretty cool these are quite badass girls i might watch them on the tv and that's brilliant
1: one of the things that that points to is i suppose where, where we can kind of take the conversation towards a close which is the future of of the game more generally. We've spent, we're, we're sitting in the host nation and that's where we're going to be experiencing a lot of this. But of course it is a European championship and it's a global game. But we are starting to see um, a few centres for women's football pull away from other parts of the world. And England is probably, well, England and the UK, probably one of those places, partly because of the success of the WSL in the last few years, partly because of the success of Uh, of the national teams particularly England the US obviously has always been uh, a bit of a center for for football and then you have places like France and Germany how significant do we think this tournament could be in in entrenching some of those things and how big an opportunity is it for the game in in other countries particularly across Europe?
0: I think it's going to be huge. I think uh, Baroness Sue Campbell said sort of really really quote around, you know, if we're, if we're going to put open the shop window, we're going to make sure we put on that shop window so a really premium product, something that people want. I think that's what we're going to get with the Euros. And if that does them, you know, people will be exposed to various teams. So I'll be really interested to see what happens you know we've got a number of amazing players that play across our WSL if young girls go to see them live a young boys see them live suddenly they might go Do you know what I fancy going to a WSL game to see them play some more they were exceptional so I think it is huge these big tournaments these big event and moments open the shop window for a period of time throw a load of if we're honest cash and light on it all so we're going to have fan parades parties fan zones you know this doesn't happen in everyday sport but it pulls people in and then I think the job afterwards and we know like the legacy program is up and running across schools we know there's going be a lot of work post-tournament by all the cities and also by the governing bodies so then make sure we take that excitement and this is always a challenge right this is where we, we probably didn't make the most of london 2012 and then feed it into those other sports because post euros a like you, you know you said owen there's a ton of amazing tournaments coming up whether we've got the commonwealth whether we've got the hundred we've got the wfl and we're going into a women's rugby world cup over in new zealand and like the lionesses we're one of the favorites going into that as well can you imagine that Can you imagine in one year if England win two tournaments? I've probably jinxed it now saying that. You know, this is how big that opportunity is.
1: And and Tom, just that macro level of women's football, women's soccer internationally, you know, this is is a really interesting point in its development because of the opportunity potentially that the, the, the WSL in particular has to build on this. You might see an influx of talent as well. Some of those players that Jenny talks about signing for WSL clubs after the summer. What, what are your thoughts on kind of some of that evolution that, that we might start to see and, and what that might mean for um, for the women's game globally?
2: Actually, there was a, there was a sort of uh, interesting, I don't know if it's actually a report anymore, the FA, the FA have come out and denied today that they turned down a, a bid from a private equity firm for 150 million to essentially buy the WSL and kind of form it in the image of the Premier League slightly. Yeah, The, the FA re- seem to have rejected that based on the idea that they're still they're still growing it and that's probably sensible i don't think the fa have got any kind of designs on being the the regulator the rights holder for that league long term some people think that women's football in this country especially is is sort of ripe for professionalization and ripe for investment now like if the fa doesn't agree that's that's kind of it's uh that's that's it's cool but I, that probably says where we're going with this and i think it could be interesting if we got to a situation right like at the end of the year is where Instead of those kind of post, uh, those kind of traditional summer transfer deadline day pieces that we're seeing for the Premier League, we're suddenly talking about like, oh, which which breakout staff and the UEFA Women's Euros are we going to be seeing joining the WSL this season? Because that's the kind of interest that it's brought to the game. I, I think that Premier League clubs could do a better job where they've got teams in the WSL as well of making them a bit more visible in their home venues. I know there's always arguments about maintaining the quality of the pitch, but I think that if you do it properly, there's ways that you can do that. So I think that 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 for me is where I think it will be a, a big thing because you could see that, it's, as Jenny said earlier, it's about taking those eyeballs that we're going to get on this and then making sure that they're directed into... The next thing, which is which is the return of the WSL season in this country, and then the domestic game, the Champions League in Europe, and obviously you have got the rest of it further afield. But th- that I think is the that's that I think is where it has to go, and probably where it, I'd like to think that's where it will go.
1: Mm. Yeah, and you know, to invert the point about the breakout stars of um, the Euro going to the WSL or going to major European clubs, you have the inverse, which is that more people will have seen some of those players because they will be, you know. Chelsea or Arsenal or, uh, or or Tottenham players or whoever, and they will have some familiarity with them because some of that seeding has been done. But of course, yeah, it's a process to build on and to try and grow from there. Jenny, I noticed you nodding there when uh, Tom was talking about, you know, the use of, of some of the major venues by, uh, by some of the top tier clubs in European football. And, you know, we saw Barcelona um, pull off a couple of huge attendances at, at, at the camp now um we've seen clubs like arsenal and tottenham use their um their home grounds a little bit more frequently for for some of the some of the big uh some of the big fixtures on, the, on their calendars you know how important are those kind of set pieces to the development of women's football or is it going to be more a case of just kind of making sure that you bring the the floor up rather than the ceiling, if you see what I mean.
0: Barcelona is a bit of an anomaly um, just because obviously, you know, the level of love for football in that city is you know, it's probably like Brits and cups of tea. It's sort of next level. And they did, you know, what isn't talked about a lot. It was very heavily promoted. You couldn't walk around the city without seeing a billboard. Um, they spent a lot of time and, and money investing those games to make sure they were they were full. You know, it started off with El Clasico, which is a huge, huge fixture You know, it's it's ingrained in the culture of their society. So they started off in a really, really strong point, a really key cultural moment that everyone in Barcelona will talk about. If, even if you're a non-football fan, you will know about it. And then they were really smart and they just marketed hard in the in the in, in the area. They knew that locally they had enough people that they could bring in and fill that that stadium without then getting an influx of broader fans as well. I guess it's hard to hear because you know they did they spent time and money doing it and I'm not sure we always get to see that here I saw it was brilliant I saw um, Arsenal women against Wolfsburg ladies at the Emirates amazing experience you know comfy seats red wine but what I did miss was you know being in a football ground that was full of lots of other fans and it, you know and it'd be really interesting to see what the players think what their balance of how they find the experience of being in the stadium which is brilliant but then you sometimes sit back and go gosh there's not many of us here compared to when you do put them in a, in a smaller stadium and it and it is full i think it's probably a balance and playing with the two i would you know for those fixtures i would probably follow the barcelona approach go for those big classic rivalries make sure both teams really promote it really you know really get behind it start on a really strong footing and then see how you go i think picking the odd weekday match here and there hoping people will turn up isn't really enough
1: mm. i suppose more generally you know the, the the question is going to be one of balancing finding the opportunities to create those really big events and create some visibility and and bring new people in but also properly nurture the week to week and the, and nourishing kind of the, the game itself and and the properties that you have um, at your disposal
0: yeah definitely it's taking a staged approach you know it's not about we know you know we, we we know where we want to get to but like with everything it takes a bit of time to get there So do testing and learn, pick those key moments and you know go with the momentum and build slowly you know, we all seem in an immediate rush in women's football to quickly get to the, you know, 90,000 people at every stadium. But that's not always going to be the case. So I think we need to be quite realistic there and build slowly and make sure, you know, that the fans that do turn up at the stadiums do have a brilliant experience and don't feel like, well, oh, it's quite empty here. Actually, it'd be a bit more fun if I was in a smaller stadium, packed full of noisy fans.
1: Something we haven't really spent much time talking about, Tom, is the model, the commercial model around the women's jurists. I think, you know, Jenny mentioned in passing just up top but the fact that there's been this decoupling of the commercial rights to women's tournaments which has brought some of these new and, and different brands in who, who have their own incentives to, to promote the tournament and to really get behind it from a marketing perspective and we have mentioned the hundred a couple of times which has the opposite approach where everything is is promoted together so there's you know it's not so much a case of the women's game following the men's game it's a case of these two properties were conceived together and they're being promoted together there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all basically for um for how these how these things develop commercially or do you think it's it's still in a kind of learning phase
2: yes um it has to be the latter right i mean like we've seen success in both models like you've seen success with 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 the champions league in decoupling sounds like something that Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow came up with that but um <laughs> yeah you've, you've seen success in that and you've seen success in the hundred but as you said they are different kinds of properties they're different kinds of well, they're different sports for a start like it, they're they're trying to do, they're trying to achieve different things and I think uh, like going back actually to to something that Jenny said when she was talking about the conversations he had with partners it's sort of like what are you could flip that around on the rights holders too and be like what are you trying to achieve? Like and then you set out your thing to those goals. And and if you're taking that approach, you will struggle I think to to go too far wrong because if you I think I think previously sport has tried to fit just okay all right here's women's sport we'll take what we do in men's sport and we'll we'll we'll, we'll run with that idea. Now uh, yeah, I think people are realizing obviously that hasn't worked. It it, it didn't work and it's, it was time for change, but there's not one way of doing it a sort of solutions based approach to how you go about achieving what you measure as success. And that will, that will also depend on where you want to get to and what you, what's defined as success too. Like there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions I think before you start coming up Mm -hmm. with, with solutions.
1: Okay. Um, Final thought on, on this summer, Jenny, there is a lot of excitement. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot that people are going to learn there's also going to be some frustration, isn't there, around people who are coming into uh, into women's sport either, either for the first time or who have taken a different perspective on it in the past and, and are maybe not giving it or haven't given it the level of attention, perhaps, for the reasons that that they would apply elsewhere. You know, what what are some of the things that people have to be prepared for, um, some of the, the more challenging lessons that people might need to learn this summer in terms of attitudes that need to evolve or commitments that need to be a little bit more genuine or or uh, sustained or or what have you
0: i think what i tend to find is every tournament and the run-up to the tournament the tournament itself is under scrutiny um the sponsors are under scrutiny their motors are under scrutiny as soon as a ball gets kicked around or thrown or hit with a racket suddenly the focus goes directly onto the sport and i think what will be really interesting we know the lionesses are going to do well touchwood you know they could get through to the final and i think what we'll see is there will all—they will be these conversations that, you know, it's not going to be as big as everyone thinks. No one's really hearing about it. And people are very quick to jump on women's sponsors saying they're not doing enough. At least they're doing something. This is, you know, baby steps here, guys. And, you know, we've just seen this week, e Nike, Dettol, so many big, huge, you know, British brands throwing their weight behind it. And we know that if England do well, that will be the turning point. If England start to do well, people will tune in, talk about it. And that will basically cover all the noise about the sponsors. It will cover all the noise of all the trolls trying to go at the women's game because we're all really fickle creatures. We just love to be part of a winning team and we never win. So I think, you know, no pressure, Lionesses, but um, to save women's football, can you make sure it comes home, please?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's sort of don't let good be the enemy of perfect um in, in that in that situation isn't it like don't kind of sort of like don't create unfair comparisons and rather sort of celebrate the progress than jump on the sort of perceived inadequacies in any
1: way and um predictions i feel like i've had one from jenny
0: i mean it's, i'm putting it out there it's come it's coming home i'll see you all at the final
1: yeah so we've got one one for england tom
2: the the result against the netherlands massively uh buoyed me i i Elite. I equally think it's coming home. Um, I also think that we're going to get a Euros wow. uh, World Cup England double. Okay. So just going to take that, take that level of jeopardy just a little bit further. Am
1: I going to take the host prerogative here and and completely bottle it? Um, what, what I will say is that I do think home advantage is a is a big thing, and what is going to be a very close tournament. I think there's half a dozen teams who are, who are there or thereabouts, but England have been, you know, at the later stages of the last couple of ones. Yeah, why not? at me anyway before we go we will, we'll just take a quick trip tom under the radar obviously just a reminder as well as i said at the, the top of the program we do have women's sports week coming up across sports press channels including the podcast i think we've got two versions of the sports Pro podcast and one of the Streamtime time podcast um, that are going to be dedicated to women's sport in that week so there will be loads of um loads of really high quality stuff to look out for there but of course there'll be a takeover as well on sportspromedia.com. Um, stream time this week. If you have come here looking for all of your latest media news, then I will point you in the direction of Chris Stone and uh, Nick Meacham, wherever you get your podcast, They've been looking at YouTube strategy and Amazon's uh, UEFA Champions League pickup in the UK and some of the noise around Netflix moving to an ad supported model in um, perhaps in a few months time for some users and FIFA Plus Going on connected TVs as well before the World Cup, um, Tom. Beyond that, what what have you noticed under the radar? What are, what are some stories or any stories that uh, you've picked up that are worthy of wider attention?
2: Not sure how under the radar the like Newcastle United are these days. Well, I mean, like, does anyone really care about sleep sponsors? Maybe maybe the brands themselves. Jenny might be able to tell me but um yeah that sleep sponsorship deal for newcastle united may be the first of many with companies that are owned or backed by the same sovereign wealth fund that owns the football club interesting i guess because of the some, some of the sort of numbers that reported around it i think it was suggested that they were looking for seven and a half million pounds a year which is massively increased on in what they're currently earning and immediately brings into question this whole idea of fair market rates and what is a fair market rate for for newcastle yeah I'm not sure that is under the radar I think it's been pretty kind of widely chatted about but I don't think it's something that people should stop talking about because I think it, it it's important that these questions keep on being asked like it's a it does have major implications about integrity of the competition integrity of the market and sports washing which w- we've discussed a lot previously and we will continue to discuss probably forever so <laughs> yeah that that's my that's my sort of under the radar one this week if it's not under the radar enough Sorry, but I want it on over the radar.
1: Happening in the same week as... Uh, All over the radar. Major new shirt sponsor for Paris Saint-Germain as well. Um, coincidentally. Yes. from me, not stunning news, but landmark news in the last few days, which is that uh, the safe standing trial here in England was a success earlier this year. Um, and that's now been cleared for next season for domestic games in in england at top tier football grounds so for the first time in uh in about where are we just under 30 years so yeah there'll be some grounds who who will have safe terraces in the 2022-23 season they include brentford which is hosting games in the UEFA women's euro 2022 and wembley stadium which was a bit of a surprising addition to the that initial list um but i think there will be other grounds that that Apply or other clubs whose fan bases ask them to apply for that status. And I just think that that is going to be, there will obviously be a lot of coverage of that, I think it comes on stream, but I think it's going to be really interesting in terms of what it does for the fan experience at a lot of games. Um, and I think that the German model where you kind of have a hardcore support who go and they stand and they chant and there's a drummer and all that stuff will be will become part of it. But, you know, I think you might see more and more delineation within football grounds in, in terms of what people go there for and what they come to expect and i think that that will have an impact right across the kind of commercial and event side of the game so interesting to see how that one develops anyway we will leave it there for this week's edition of the sports Pro podcast weekly wrap uh thank you very much to jenny mitten
0: thank you very much for having me
1: absolute pleasure thanks as ever to tom bassam thank you guys it's been a real pleasure uh enjoy euro 2022 everyone and uh, the sports pro podcast is published by sports pro media we will be back with you again very soon bye-bye